what is up everyone? I hope you are doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here for episode 182 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I'm here with Shawan Humes as usual. And Shawan, I want to let everybody know who you, how you're doing. I'm fine. You know, just another day in the life, man. Kids in school and, and uh, just kids in school and doing all that kind of stuff. That's what I usually spend most of my time doing. Kid stuff. Are they back? Are they like in-person school or no? Yeah, they're back to full-time now. This is their uh, senior year for most of them. I have the uh, eight-year-old in second grade, so she's got a long time, but the rest of them have this their senior year. So they're in uh, full-time? Mm-hmm. Yep, they were going to two days a week. Now they're going for the first month and a half. Now they're going five, all five. Like the full day? Wow. Have y'all yep. had issues with COVID at the uh, school at all? I think they've had some concerns, but nothing has really gone out, you know. Nothing, nothing serious. They had some like people who've taken off and got checked and then didn't. But we haven't had anything like big where they thought about shutting down the school. My homegirl's uh, daughter's school got shut down in like two weeks. So yeah. Oh well, yeah. I know in some other states, they the first week back they had like three or four hundred like actual cases and hasn't been anything like this. But the area we're in isn't a isn't a big. It's not a it's not a big not by a big city. I mean the closest major city is like almost sixty miles away. So. A little, bit, a little bit different, kind of, kind of more limited as far as how many people are coming through the town and everything. True, true, true. All right, sir. So let's talk about a lot because we have quite a bit of action to cover from this past weekend. So let's go ahead and jump into that. But before we do, I want to say thank you for everyone who's taking the time to check out our show. Shawan and I were just talking. We are slowly growing, which is exactly what we want to be doing Uh each and every week that we drop some new content for you guys. So we are easy to find. You can check us out over at the flagship of MMARatings.net. If you want to hit us on social media, we're in the same uh, Instagram and Twitter handles as MMARatingsNet for both spaces. Schwan Humes can be found at Black Jordan Breen, and I can be found at Garcia underscore sports. And we are also across multiple streaming platforms, including Anchor, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and much more from there. But as always, thank you for taking the time to check us out. And we're going to talk about UFC Fight Night 180 first and foremost. We're going to hit UFC 254 as well. And talk about Vasily Lomacheco losing to Teofimo Lopez on Saturday. So we got a couple of different things to talk about. And of course, you know, we're going to talk about that shit with, with Mike Perry, but we're going to hit that at the end of the show. So, Shawan, let's start with Brian Ortega first, because he picked up a big, big win on Saturday, and he did it in a way that nobody expected, winning this fight on the feet. What do you say about his overall performance, and did he show you a lot of development as a mixed martial artist with the way he won on Saturday? Yeah, I actually did. He, I mean, every time we get on the show and we talk about my issues with camps and fighters, the main thing is when they have downtime, Everybody, instead of developing their skill set or expanding it or deepening it, what they do is they just they just get better at what they're already good at. And then when they have six six weeks before a fight, then they try try to add new skills, which is it's just a terrible thing to do. You can't make up the gap in skills in six weeks. You you just can't. In the case of Brian Ortega, my concern was with this two years off, would he be working on? Because he had injuries, he had surgeries. Would he be developing his skill sets? Would he be? putting more cohesiveness between his skill sets? Would he be broadening them and deepening them? I didn't know. 
So when I talked about the fight, I said, I already saw ways for him to win, but I didn't know what we were going to see. He'd been up for two years, and I had no idea what his, what his thought process were, what his training process was. Um, it ended up being that he had put in the time in developing his skill set. I'm not shocked that he won on the feet, because he's won on the feet before. He, the problem he's had on the feet is the same problem he has on the ground. Everything isn't, it's not cohesive. He didn't really have a wrestling game, so he couldn't force fights to the ground. He didn't have a wrestling game, so he couldn't keep fights on the, on the feet. And, and it allowed his opponents to dictate where the fight took place. Second thing he had is on his feet, he wasn't very cohesive. It was either offense or defense. And a lot of, a lot of his best work was done, done in these huge moments of offense, these big counters, these big leads, which would allow him to shake somebody up to get a submission or knock somebody out. It wasn't, there was no cohesion. There wasn't any A, B, C, D, and E. It was like A, E, and Y just these big random moments of offense that were loosely set up in a very loose structure. In this fight, you saw much more dedication and attention to detail to de- de- defense, distance management, combination punching, um, responsible structure defense. It wasn't just he block one shot, he block one shot, parry the other, step out at an angle. It's the little things that you have to do to put all the aspects of mixed martial arts together, which is what he was lacking. And that cohesion is what allowed him to beat the Korean zombie so decisively. Because there, there wasn't just a big moment that he'd land a big shot or he, he'd attempt something big, and the Korean zombie could use that to get control on the ground or to light him up on the feet. Every big moment he had, it was set up by a bunch of little moments. And every time the big moment didn't work, it didn't get the knockout, or he missed a shot, he was right back on his P's and Q's. He was defensively. So that was, he didn't have these huge gaps in his game, which is what cost him against Max Holloway. He could land offense here and there, but he could never put it together. He could get in on takedowns, but he couldn't finish them. He could threaten with a submission, but he could never finish it because of the gaps he had in the skill set and the gaps he had in, between, in his structure of how that skill set, skill set was set up. Last, on Saturday night, you didn't, you didn't see as many gaps or you didn't see as big a gaps, which allowed him to make advantage of his athleticism and take advantage of the, the sharpening of his grappling and the sharpening of his his actual striking. You know, it just it just he was so much more cohesive and so much more fluid. There weren't those big spots where you could punish him or put him in a bad spot or back him up or trap him, which is what the Korean zombie was hoping for. He didn't give him much to work with. And when he did, he was like you said, he had a counter defensively with his wrestling or he had defensive aspects with parries in his footwork that allowed him to ride those moments out when the Korean zombie started trying to build momentum. So I was very impressed that he spent that time really learning his craft and really refining his game and, and to a certain degree, a certain aspect, readjusting his game. So this is, this, is probably the be- this is probably the best version we've seen of Brian Ortega. I mean, I, they say that all the time because somebody gets a win, but technically speaking, this was probably the best version of Brian Ortega I've ever seen. And with that in mind... A lot of people are, and I think they're rightly so, predicting him being the next fight for Alexander Volkanovsky in that 145-pound title. What are your thoughts about that fight off of um, what you saw on Saturday? Well, the thing about it is when guys make huge changes, I really like to see them get more than just one fight in because it takes a while for you to really make those changes second nature to where you can... You can rely on them under duress. And in the fight with Korean Zombie, he was in control most of the time. He had some rough spots. Korean Zombie had some moments where he was building momentum. For the most part, he was in control. And 
doing new things and showing poise and discipline and cohesion, that's really, really good. Whether, whether you're in control or not, that's great. But the fact of the matter is it's easier to do when you're in control. It's like, it's like basically um, being technical when you know a guy can't, no matter what he hits you with, won't hurt you. Or throwing a lot of volume when you know no matter what he hits you with, it won't, won't hurt you. It allows you, it allows you to take certain liberties. And he was allowed to take certain liberties with the Korean zombie partially because he caught him off guard. The Korean zombie had no idea what to prepare for. All he could prepare for was the guy from, from two years ago. And secondly, because he was better in, in some technical spots. Against Volkanovski, he's not going to he- have clear advantages on the feet. Um, he might have advantages in grappling, but we surely know he's not going to have advantages in wrestling exchanges. So while it, on paper it looks like, like an interesting matchup, and it is because Ortega's durable, he, he, has, he has some power, he, he's, he's very opportunistic as a finisher, and now, now he's able to put his game together and transition ranges and, and blend his phasing together. The fact of the matter is we still don't know what ha- happens when he can't physically assert his pace or he can't technically out outclass somebody. I mean, Volkanovski, I could see him even maybe getting a round or two, but Volkanovski will make an adjustment. Volkanovski's corner, Volkanovski's mindset as a fighter, Volkanovski's approach is very fluid, and Volkanovski wouldn't go five rounds essentially trying to do the same thing and just adding more, more volume and physicality. He, in his setups, he'd make an adjustment in his entries, he'd make an adjustment in the combinations he's throwing, he'd make an adjustment in mixing up striking and wrestling or wrestling and striking. He, there'd, there'd be adjustments. Korean Zombie never made one. So in theory, on the on the platonic level, this is, is an interesting fight because there's two good athletes, two durable guys, two guys who can fight at a fairly decent pace, and two guys who seem to have a lot of cohesion in their overall mixed martial arts skill set. But still, we only know one of them has shown the ability to consistently adjust from fight to fight or from round to round. We don't know that Brian Ortega has that because Brian Ortega wasn't forced to. And now that, that, that little ace car, that ace in the hole that he had, that would catch people off guard well now we've already seen it now it's a matter of how good is he at it but but it's different when you see someone and you've never seen them do something before and they do it it catches you off guard volkanowski's already seen that he's seen five rounds of that so now he knows he's capable of it he just needs to know how good barnataka is at executing but he's he's going to be more prepared than the korean zombie korean zombie had no idea what to expect volkanowski does and that gives him a much better chance of winning than uh korean zombie had so we often talk about fighters who don't advance through their training or through their development. We talked about Holly Holm a lot when she won her fight a couple of weeks back because she continues to evolve as a mixed martial artist. Brian Ortega looked entirely different on Saturday. We've known him for someone who, I don't want to say struggles in fights, but someone who doesn't win by a landslide until it's time to submit someone. On Saturday, he was in control from start to finish, basically taking all five rounds without any question. There weren't any question marks throughout that throughout that bout. I mean, people aren't even talking about the fact that he dropped uh, Korean Zombie in the first round. How? So, what do you think his ceiling well, is now? How different is it to you now after seeing that fight on Saturday than it was before coming into the contest? Him dropping Korean Zombie, it was on brand for him. He's a guy who the biggest thing that was surprising people is the fact that he was winning rounds. Usually he's getting beat until he does something to drop somebody or somebody takes him down and he submits them or somehow he gets them on the ground and he submits them. It's never been a matter of him controlling the pace of rounds, dictating the level of, the level of engagement, and when the engagement happens and the place the engagement happens. That's where people are shocked. That's where people are impressed. That's what, what separates them. His striking wasn't 
so so much better. It was it was just more balanced. Instead of it being kicks and then punches or kind of space that it was kicks and punches. It was punches and kicks. It was throwing throwing hard shots. And when he threw when he, when the guy fired back on you, instead of you just taking one to land a counter, he he's parrying, slipping, stepping off, and then firing back. It was just more structured. It was going from one, two, three, four, five, all the way to ten, instead of going from one to ten, which is what he usually did. One, seven, ten. That's how he usually fought. I throw this, you're going to counter me big, that's a seven, then all of a sudden I hit you with something else, that's a ten. I throw this, you hit a react to take it, take down, which is a seven, ten, I guillotine you. It's always some kind of skipping of steps. There's no buildup and there's no, even when he's exiting, you jump in, you jump out of range. You grab this, you finish this. It was no, there was no structure, there was no patience, there was no poise. That's what separated. That's what's improved him. I won't, I won't say that he's world's better as a striker. I, I don't know that that's the case yet, but he's paying attention to defense now. He can mix his defense and offense. He mixes his punches and kicks much better. He mixes his feints and his strikes much better. He mixes his strikes and his transitions into wrestling much better because before he didn't have much of a wrestling game. So it's not so much that the skill set has become elite. It's that he's put everything together well enough that even in the areas that he's weak in, he can make them a factor because he can hide them or set them up with the areas that he's stronger in. It's like much more strategical awareness and uh, more so than technical, much more so than technical growth. He's showing, he's showing more strategical awareness. There's, there is technical growth, but I think it's much more strategical. It's much more mental and, and as, far, as far as what he's doing. Okay, I thought I was on mute there for a second. Uh, so let's just talk really quickly about Korean Zombie. What what would be next for him if you had a opportunity to uh, make a selection? Well, I, I personally, just for again, I said this before last week. I'm really con- I, this is a low, high risk, low reward win for him. If he would have beat Brian Ortega, two years off, yada yada yada, whatever, whatever. We had all these excuses, especially if he would have dominated him. Losing to Brian Ortega isn't the worst thing in the world, but it doesn't really help his case. Korean Zombie was probably a fight away. That this fight might have been for him, him challenge for a title. He was a he won three out of his last four. This would have been four out of his last four out of his last five. He had an argument to face Volkanovski. He was basically a fight away from the title shot, and because he lost his fight to one of the best fighters in the world, he's probably going to get moved two or three spots back. He's probably going to fight somebody like a Calvin Cater or something like that. I think he's at forty five. Maybe I'm thinking about Burgos. Either way, he's going to fight somebody else further down the line. He's He's going to have to build his momentum back up. Where Brian Ortega essentially is probably going to walk into a title fight. Maybe have one other fight. But most likely he's going to walk into a title fight because he's got some cachet and, and he's highly ranked. So for the Korean Zombie, it's just going to be another top five, top seven type opponent he's going to have to face because he's going to want to stay, he's going to want to stay in the realm of being a title contender. But it just sucks because he basically, he basically lost all the momentum he had. And he lost it to a guy who hadn't fought in two years. And regardless of how good Brian Ortega is and how good he looks, the fact of the matter is he, he hasn't been active in two years. So after two years of inactivity, he's essentially in the same spot the Korean Zombie was after taking two years, but then having to fight for another two, maybe three years to, to build up all that momentum and put himself in position. He just lost all that in the matter of five rounds. So he's going to he's gonna have to face another, another high-level guy if he wants to stay close to contention. I'd probably prefer him to take a step back, face a little bit of an easier opponent, and um, try to try, try to show more, try to develop a little bit more some of the tricks he had because he's gotten better at countering. His defense has been a little better, but in this fight, 
he wasn't getting the opportunities to counter and he wasn't able to establish his jab or even counter Brian Ortega off his jab like he's, he's been used to doing. So he needs to go back to the lab for a little bit, work on his skill set, and I think he should face a lower-level guy, maybe top 15, lower top 10, and get everything in order and then take another big step back up for a title contender because he can't afford another loss. Another loss puts him all the way to the back of the line. Even with a name, another loss puts him at the back of the line. So he needs to be very careful with what he does in this next fight he has. Get stuff on mute. Yeah, I definitely did have myself on mute. But you mentioned someone, you mentioned Korean Zombie not fighting someone high level. Let's talk about someone who should be doing that, and that should be Jessica Andrade, because she blew through Caitlin Chukagan, dropping her in the first round of their fight with a nasty body shot that literally made Chukagan run across the cage because she was in such pain. Now, this win for Andrade is huge because she becomes the first woman to win fights across three weight classes, which is amazing. And she's, it's kind of been sneaky as well. Like, you, you, we've watched it happen, but she's never really gotten a lot of praise for it, even though she's a former champion. So where does she stand right now when it comes to the pound-for-pound pound women's list? She's never gotten praise for it because people think of her more as a wrecking ball than an actual skillful fighter. And when people talk about pound-for-pound, pound, you don't mind seeing athleticism. You don't mind seeing huge power. But you, you, you want to see you want to see a certain caliber of technique and strategical awareness. And she hasn't always shown that, you know, her, her camp hasn't done her any favors in that regard. As far as a, uh, all, you know, pound for pound fighter, you, you have, you have to include her in these, these discussions because she has wins in every division. She had wins in a division where she's been outweighed by 15, 20 pounds. She dropped two weight classes, challenged for a title, won a title, beat almost everybody in the top 10, you know, and, and then, um, and then she goes to another one and beats a person who's in the top top four of that division and the and the most recent title challenger. So as far as results and as far as the impact she's had on the divisions and how the and how destructive she's been, yeah, you have to put her in as far as the pound for pound person. As far as an actual skill set and 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 overall strategic awareness and IQ and all the things we like to to, to attribute to world class elite fighters, I don't know that she's particularly high on any of those fronts. But when the name of the game is results. And her resume and her results and who she's beaten and how she's beaten them says that if she's not one of the top, if she's not the top, she's probably, you know, no worse than second or third, just based on her resume in the U.S., just based on her resume. She hasn't faced the best opposition in the world, but she's, she's faced the best presentable, and she's essentially run through all of them, with the exception of Joanna, uh, Wiley, and uh, who else? Rose Namajunas. Everybody else, she's just, you know, pretty much dominated for the past two, three, four years. I uh, really appreciated her performance on Saturday. I think she, I mean, she, yeah, she is a wrecking ball. And that's kind of why some people enjoy watching her fight because she, there's often that stigma of knockouts not really happening in the women's division divisions, but we know that's not really the case. There's a plethora of KOs that we can be seeing across women's um MMA and she is a connoisseur of them because she puts people down like nobody's business. 
uh, and speaking of putting people down, now she's being seen as a top contender for Valentina Shevchenko. And yeah, I get it. That division is not very deep. Shevchenko is probably going to be the champion for as long as she decides to be the champion. But I do not think Andrade is a woman who could take that belt from her unless if she touches her chin somehow. I mean, there's always that that chance out there. You know, you can hit somebody one time and you can push, put their head in, in, into orbit. But the hitting, Valentina Shevchenko, I can't see Andrade doing a lot of that if these two were to pair off. What are some of your thoughts about that? Well, my main, the main thing she's always had over people is she's a better athlete. She, she hits hard. She could hit harder if she threw cleaner strikes, but she hits harder. She's physically stronger. She's physically more durable. She's a better athlete. Against Valentina, I don't know that she's a better athlete. Against Valentina, maybe the power, punching power is equal, but Valentina is a much cleaner puncher, which means the power goes in her favor. We could say durability, but I've seen her knocked out before, and Rose Namunas is a very big hitter. I don't know that Rose Namunas hits harder than Amanda Nunes. And Amanda Nunes, at one point, teed off of Valentina Shevchenko. And she hurt her, but she didn't put her out. And, and Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm and other people who take who take those same shots from Amanda Nunes, they didn't make it out the round. Um, Valentina turned the fight around and, had, and in the first fight had Nunes gasping for hair and begging for her life and almost finished her. So a lot of the things that Andrade would lean on or going to either be equal or be in the favor of, of Valentina. Her biggest advantage is she's going to throw a lot of volume. She's probably going to throw to the body. She's probably the physically strongest person, one of the physically strongest people that Valentina's face. So she, Valentina won't just have a huge advantage to be able to bully her and dictate pace and place like that. But all the other physical tools go in Valentina's favor. And um, the, the biggest thing with I, I find with Andrade is Andrade has lean her 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 teams use her physical tools as a crutch and i get it it's been very successful for her but the fact of the matter is when things have leveled off athletically she has looked very vulnerable and if you can see if rose namayunas who we know is not not as good a striker and not as durable as valentina is sending her head flying you can only imagine what valentina was the, the thing that makes it exciting is andrage is physically able to take it and andrage is going to c- come after valentina she's not going to give her any quarter like Jessica I did and kind of try to play and, and stay at range and Caitlin Chukagan did and all these other people who fought her who, who weren't going to put themselves in the line of fire. Andrade will put herself in the line of fire to get her, to get her pound of flesh. So she's going to do some damage or she's going to get put out quickly because she's not going to, she's not going to ease into it. She's going to make it a fight. She's going to make it as ugly as she can. She's going to force a pace on Valentina. Valentina is going to have to stop her. She's not going to stop herself. She's not going to make it easy. But as far as technical technical skills, it's not close. Athleticism, um, if it's close, I still favor Val. The durability, Valentina hasn't been knocked out. She's been facing big hitters. Um, a lot of the tools that Andrade leans on are going to favor Valentina. And, I, and, and Andrade's team, in my opinion, hasn't developed enough skills for her to be successful dominantly when she's facing somebody she can't completely bulldoze. And every time she when she fought Claudia Gadelia, Claudia Gadelia... If Claudia Gadelia doesn't get tired, Claudia Gadelia essentially beats Jessica Andrade because she was durable enough, she hit hard enough, and she attacked on enough front, she could do the damage. She just couldn't maintain a pace. Valentina can maintain a pace. Valentina can handle in those clinches. Valentina can handle the power. In, in, on paper, based on who they fought, she can handle the power. The only thing that makes it exciting is Andrade is going to be willing to walk through fire. She's not going to do what Liz Carmouche did. She's going to go in there looking to put her out, looking to get her hands on her looking to go to war 
And that's what's going to make it exciting. That's what's going to make it appealing. I still feel that there's some technical holes, even in that fight against Chukagan that I saw that give me, give me, give me cause for concern against a bigger, stronger, more explosive, and more physically punishing fighter in Valentina. I mean, Caitlin has a moment. Caitlin, Caitlin has some moments against her. They didn't last very long, but she had some moments. And it's hard for me to get those moments out of my head when I know that she's Andrade wants to face a much bigger, much more athletic, much better striker and better MMA fighter. All right there, sir. You really kind of broke it all down and we're good to go from here. Uh, is there anything else on this card that is worth mentioning to you? Uh, uh, let me check one thing real quick. There was something I was I was looking into. You know what? Um, oh, just the just the, the Jillian Robertson fight, I, I was impressed by her because she was able to take the fight over. And usually there's been some questions about her ability to gain momentum when she can't dominate from point A to point Z. Um, I still feel that she needs some development in her setups and her striking because at the higher levels when she can't physically dominate someone or, or can't rely on them being one-dimensional, then the holes in her striking and the holes in her defense open back up and she's not able to get take, take down. She can't get to her spots and she can't, she can't defend herself on the feet. So I think you have a potential star in the making in the division. But she's really got she's really got to show up that striking. It's just it's just not good enough right now. True that, true that. Um, let's move on to UFC 254 because this is a you know this is a card everyone's really been waiting on, and we're going to start at the top with Khabib Nurmagomedov defending his title against Justin Gaethje, who's the interim um, champion at the time. So there's a lot to really unpack here. First, let's talk about some styles here because I want to talk about Justin first because I'm looking at what people are talking about and he um, is, you know, he he's a wrestler first that a lot of people really kind of forget about. He's a, being a, having that solid wrestling background. We know him for his striking and for his give no fucks type of people, style people, in, people, in the cage. People don't but, forget about his wrestling. He just doesn't use it enough to remind people. That's what I'm saying. So that means that they forget about it. That's exactly what I mean. Like he doesn't use it enough, so people forget about it. And now he's in a situation where he'll have to use it in a defensive aspect because we know Nemargo Midoff is going to try to get the fight to the ground at some point in time. What is just Justin's opportunities in that situation to maybe do enough damage to to Nemargo Midoff to uh, get himself in a situation where he could win this fight? How what is his path to victory? I mean. There's a couple of different paths. The, the main one would be the fact that I don't think Khabib's, I've said this repeatedly, Khabib's entries into his takedowns, especially in open space, they're not great to me. His footwork isn't great. His ability, his footwork, his footwork isn't great in, in closing distance and creeping into the range he needs. And, and Justin, with the, new, with the new, uh, newfound attention to detail as far as distance management and angles, like the more obvious aspects, of it he's going to be a lot harder to get to justin knows how to faint he knows how to circle out he knows how to pivot he knows how to enter and exit on angles and a lot of what could be needs to be done he needs to have you right in front of him or he needs to have you trapped so he can get his hands on you lock hands start going into his chain to take down usually his first one doesn't work he chains them together and gets you down it's going to be harder to do with justin because Justin's going to be pressuring him with the feet, feigning with his feet, feigning with his shoulders and his hands, getting Khabib to show his hand and then punish him, getting Khabib to overextend or to lunge and then punish him. And that's, that's, that's going to be the easiest way for him to have a path to victory. 
is to use his footwork, his rhythm, his timing, and stiff, stiff leads and counters to break Khabib's rhythm and to basically punish Khabib so much that if he does get him to the ground, he can scramble and get back up, or he can just get him in a 50-50 position and just finish him with strikes. It's all going to be a matter of whether Khabib's pressure and his physicality overcomes Justin's timing, his athleticism, and his, his footwork. But basically using the footwork and uh, using the footwork, not even really the wrestling so much, but the footwork and the counter-striking to essentially punish Khabib would be the easiest avenue for Justin to beat Khabib. I know he's a wrestler, but the fact of the matter is he, he doesn't wrestle a lot in his fights, and he hasn't really had to wrestle. And I know everybody's like, oh, he can just force to scramble, blah, blah, blah. It's one thing to force to scramble against a guy who can't really take you down or a guy who's a grappler. It's another thing to force to scramble against a guy who is a very high-level wrestler grappler who is used to being in wrestling and grappling fights. When you're do, even if you do something well, doing it at a high level, against somebody at a high level who's better at it than you, nine times out of ten will be of more of a uh, detriment to you than it is harm to them. Because Every minute you're in a grappling exchange, you're in that person's world. You can say, yeah, yeah, I've been a long-time wrestler, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's great and fine, but why haven't you used that wrestling in, in your career? You can tell me it's because you like to inflict damage, you like to go to war. That's, that's all well and good, but there has to be something more to it. Because if your wrestling was that big a factor, how, how much easier could you have made your fights? Maybe you'd already have a title by now. Maybe you would already had a title shot by now had you done that. So it's either an IQ issue, a personal preference, or... There's some kind of price you have to pay for wrestling that you think that you can't pay or, or you don't want to risk having to pay that bill when it comes. I mean, you're, you're spot on tonight, sir. You're pretty spot on. So let me see. Let me see where, where we can go from here. Do you see a situation in which Khabib is, is hurt on Saturday? Because I think that's going to happen. I think... Justin is the right type of guy to injure Khabib, and I think that's where we're headed because the way he throws in volume, we haven't seen Khabib face someone like that. The closest we can think about was Michael Johnson, and Michael Johnson had him hurt for a brief second before Khabib took him down and basically controlled him for the rest of that fight before finishing him. Are we looking at a situation in which could be maybe hurt on Saturday if he takes a bad shot. And how do you think he responds to that? I think Khabib could be hurt in multiple spaces. I mean, nobody wants to admit it, but in the third, he had issues with Conor McGregor on the ground. He, he had a big moment that allowed him to turn a, a second, I think the second round where he dropped him. But Conor had a lot of success using feints, using movements, switching directions to, to force Khabib to telegraph and to extend and to reach. And to kind of walk into some shots. And there was some point where he was pressuring Khabib and backing him up. The thing about it is when you don't have a wrestling pedigree or you're not confident that you're a high-level grappler, you have to be very careful with your shots. You, you waste a lot of mental energy and physical energy because you're trying to make sure you take the right angle, the right position. You keep your feet moving. You're constantly doing the right things because any mistake, you know that you can't hang on the ground with that guy. That guy's going to wear you down. That guy's going to break you down. Justin should be able to be a little bit more free on the feet because – in theory, he should be able to get back up or at least defend a takedown and escape. Or if he gets taken down, create a scramble. And um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, especially early, I don't know that if I go for ground and pound, but early he can regain the feet, regain distance, and make 
you have to work start for start from one to get, regain that position. Um, and and throwing a volume works because he he's not like I said he won't be afraid of being taken out. He he believes he can win scrambles, so he'll put four or five six shots together. Because even if he misses one and he gets taken down, I'll get back up. I'll base out. I'll get back up. I'll I'll sacrifice roll and get back up. Whatever it is he has to do, he'll, he'll get back up. And that that would be the factor. I believe he's gonna hurt Khabib. I don't see how he doesn't. He's he's his footwork's a lot better. His conditioning and patience is a lot better, and he hits harder than Michael Johnson. And he's going to be sharper than Conor McGregor was when he came into the Khabib fight. The problem is, the question is, and if he can't, not just can he hurt Khabib, but can he put him away? Because if he hurts him, and Khabib can somehow get him against the fence, hang on his legs, hang on his body, and he gets through the first round, he gets through the second round, then that means Justin's using muscles and using techniques that he hasn't had to use in an MMA fight in years. When, when's the last time somebody's really wrestled him, like really tried to take him down, really leaned on him, really put that weight on him. Nobody's really done that to him. And he's going to be facing a guy who's gonna, whose whole game is to get his hands on him, not just for the first takedown, for the second. You defend the first one, go to the second, go to the third, go to the fourth, and yeah, you might defend all four of them, but at some point I'm going to get my hands on you again, and you may be able to spend the first two, but the third one will get you. Even if he's not successfully competing takedowns, takedown attempts, while they wear out the guy using them, they also wear out the guy who's defending them. Because just is not used to consistently having to defend takedown. And a lot of his fights have been recently have been him ending fights in a round or him being in total control. Is suspect is Khabib is on the feet. Khabib's chin has held up against Edson Barboza. It's held up against Conor McGregor. It's held up against Michael Johnson. It's held up against Dustin Poirier. He's been able to take a decent enough shots from the biggest hitters in the division and still, still force the fight into the positions he wants it to. So my question for Justin is, Will his gas hold up? Will his cardio hold up? Will his power hold up? It's one thing to have power for five rounds when you're in a five-round striking fight. What happens in that third or second round or fourth round when you've had to grapple, when you've had to wrestle, when you've had to scramble? A sharp, do you place him as well? Do you throw him as fluidly? Do you start loading up? Do you open yourself up for counters? I don't know. You know, it, that, that's, what makes it so, that's what makes it so interesting because both guys have a clear line to success but being that they've never been challenged by a guy with a specific skill set or a physical tool set it makes it questioning justin's never faced a guy who's he he's not physically stronger than he's not more physical than as far as a fighter khabib's probably gonna be comparable if not stronger and just as physical and he's durable and for on justin's end he's never faced a guy you know on khabib's end he's never faced a guy who's a dynamic striker but someone who's willing and able to engage him on the ground, at least in spot. Most of the guys have been fearful of getting on the ground. They're deathly afraid. They're trying to avoid it. They're trying to run from it. Justin should be willing to engage in spots with him on the ground, which means he'll be more free to open up with his strikes. It all ranges. Kicks, punches, knees, clinch, mid-range, and long-range. Khabib's never had to face a guy who's not fearful of being taken down. That changes the dynamics of the fight for both of them. Let me ask you a question here. Who has a better gas tank? I think that that's something a lot of people aren't talking about. Out of these two, who do you think has a better gas tank over 25 minutes? I, you know, I, so I'd probably say I probably have to say Khabib because he's he's gone more rounds. He he hasn't just finished guys left and right. He's had to go three full rounds. He's had, had to go five full rounds, I think, or close to it before. No, he went five with Iaquinta. I, I think he, you know, if you look at Justin's fights, whether they were in the World Series of Fighting or the UFC. Most of his fights go, what, a round or two? Maybe three? 
he's he rarely's had to go five whole rounds. He's rarely had to go three rounds. Um, what's his name? Uh, Cerrone was one. I mean, Ferguson was four, but he was in control of that fight from like the word go. Who else did he fight? Uh, Edson Barboza. I think that was in a round. He fought the tall guy, uh, Mike James Vick. That was a round. You know, I mean, a lot of his fights, the Michael Johnson fight, where they go a round and a half. You know, I mean, he he really hasn't had to go full the length of fights. And even in the length of fights he's gone in, they've mostly been strictly striking battles. There hasn't been any any grappling exchanges. In Khabib's fight, he's dealt with grappling and striking. Even though those guys are defensively grappling, he still had to deal with it. How much wrestling has Justin Gaethje really had to deal with in the past two or three years he's been in the UFC? How much wrestling has Justin Gaethje? Yeah, how much wrestling? How much I'm wrestling thinking. has he done? How much wrestling has... How many guys have really taken him down or even really tried, com- really committed to taking him down? Not just bullshit, really try to take him down. Oh, I can think of wasn't, didn't Eddie try to take him down a couple times outside of that? I can't think of yeah. anyone. Yeah, I mean, he really hasn't had to deal with it. Khabib's at least had to face where, where guys are countering and trying to defend. Justin really hasn't had anybody attack, attack him as a wrestler. He hasn't had anybody counter him as a wrestler. He hasn't had anybody use wrestling as a defense. Like, really use it. And he hasn't really faced any guy who's a high-level wrestler who's been trying to do it. So there's a lot of questions in the air about that but as far as the cardio i'd have to assume khabib he's faced top guys and he's gone multiple rounds with them sometimes the decisions sometimes a very late finish but he's the one who's who's had to who's gotten tired had to push through and i I can't say i've seen justin do that a lot i'm not saying he can't do it but i've never really seen him go a whole lot of full round fights he usually finishes before that and when he doesn't he's in total control of the fight so that's not really. You can't. You can't find anything out as far as his cardio when you're basically dominating someone. All right. All right. That's a pretty good thought there. Pretty good thought. Um, what does this win mean for Khabib? I'm actually working on a piece where I talk about how he, he, his father more so wanted him to retire at. 30 wins. If he picks up this win on Saturday, he'll get to number uh, 29. How valuable is that? Like, like, well, I want to talk about something else first. Actually, let me totally scrap that. I want to ask another question that I saw pop up on uh, Twitter this week. And it was a reference to Khabib's dominance as a champion. This is the second title defense since winning the 155-pound title. What has his reign been as a champion? Do you consider him a dominant champion or do you question, quote unquote, the overall value of his reign because he hasn't been active? Well, I don't, the, his whole dominance has nothing to do with his reign. His, his dominance comes from the fact that he's been in the UFC for uh, an extended period of time and he's essentially won all his fights. That's the biggest thing. But until his, his UFC title reign, he really hadn't fought a lot of elite guys. I mean, you look at his record, it, it, it's somewhat suspect. It, it's not great. This, this title run has been his, his big, and it started with Aya Quinta. That, that wasn't great either, but McGregor, Poirier, if he beats Gaethje, those are elite guys he's beaten. On his way to the title, he didn't really beat a whole hell of a lot of elite guys. So this title reign has actually helped his perception because he's beating the top, the number two, number three, number four guys in division. Prior to that, he, he, he was being like the number 10, number 7, number 11, number 14 guy. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. His, his skill set and the, 
the ease he's won the fights or the decisiveness in which he's won them is why people consider him such a dominant champion. It's not because of the length of the length of the, cha- the length of the reign because it hasn't been that long. It's not because of his activity as a fighter because he's had huge bouts of inactivity. It's the way he's won, which has allowed him to get this reputation as some truly dominant, unstoppable fighter. Do you think? Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and put it out there because this is gonna be controversial. You're probably gonna blow your top. I saw someone someone compare that. Ronda Rousey had a, has a better um, reign as a champion than Khabib Demargo Madoff. I could, you know what? If people are going to say this is messed up, but I could see that because part of your part of what makes you pound for pound and makes you so great isn't just that you beat somebody at that point they were great. It's what that person goes on to do with your, their career. Ronda Rousey and beating Misha Tate beat a Strikeforce champion and a future UFC champion. And she beat uh, uh, a lot of people. She's beat were Invicta champions. Some of them were Strikeforce champions at one point. Um, so, in that theory, as far as the rankings and the level of people she's beaten, uh, at that point, Misha Tate was one. Misha Tate was the more established person and had been more successful. And I don't know that Khabib had fought his equivalent of a Misha Tate in his career. I don't know that he's fought. I mean, even in her losses, she fought the pound for pound best fighter in Amanda Nunes in women's division. That's better than than if you if, if you everything's equal. That's better than the best win Khabib has. He he hasn't ever fought the pound for pound best fighter in the world when they're sharp and ready. He he hasn't done that. He didn't come off of a layup and fight and fight the best pound for pound person in in, in the division. I, I mean, Destin Poirier is very good. He he wasn't necessarily the best. I Quint is tough. He wasn't necessarily the best. And Conor McGregor hadn't been in the cage in two years. When you start looking at the wins really closely, the names matter. And they're still great fighters, but you look really closely at it, and it's like, eh, there's an argument. There, there is a definite argument to be made to the opposite of that. And all the people that Ronda Rousey beat, most, most of them went on to have fairly successful careers in the UFC, and are, are still considered top fighters in their divisions and their weight class. You know, a lot of the people that Khabib has beaten haven't done a whole hell of a lot after that. Iaquinta hasn't been great after. Um, Dustin Poirier hasn't fought again yet, and Conor Brayer went to welterweight and fought 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 a Donald Cerrone. So, to, to a certain to a certain extent, I can see the logic of what they're what they're saying. I I can get the logic of what they're saying. She beat two Strikeforce champions, Misha Tate and uh, what's her name? Oh, I can't think of her. Sarah Kaufman. Sarah Sarah Kaufman. That's 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 another one. Um, she she's beat. Liz Carmouche and Liz Carmouche had a successful run at Bantamweight. She also had a very successful run at uh, the flyweight division. Now she's fighting in Bellator. She beat Kat Zingano. Kat, Z- Kat Zingano's had a successful time in the UFC prior to to Ronda. She's fighting successfully in Bellator. Like a lot of people she's fought are still fighting and is still ranked in numerous divisions. And the people she lost to are like you know just pretty much considered top top five in their division, if not top five in women's overall. So I, I I can't completely agree with it, but I can see it. Just off the Misha Tate, Sarah Kaufman wins, Khabib hasn't faced the equivalent of that. He hasn't beaten a lot of former champions. He, I mean, he really hasn't beaten any, to be quite honest. I mean, 
if we're if we're being straight, he he hasn't faced any, and most of the guys he fought aren't really doing a hell of, whole hell of a lot right now. If, if we look at their careers, which makes you wonder how good the opposition he was facing on the way to the title was. Basically, when he got to the title is when he started he could really start claiming fighting elite guys. Prior to that, I think Michael Johnson was one of his best wins. Gleason Tebow, not not guys you have discussions about pound for pound best or even top five in their division if you think about it. Good stuff there, sir. Good thoughts. Let me ask the last question about Khabib before we move on to the co-main event. What happens if he loses? Does, does he retire? Uh, I, I really don't think he's long for the sport anyways. Uh, maybe he tried for a rematch just to clear, clean that up. Um, I, I think he's close to retirement as it is. Maybe, like you said, 30 no would be nice. I think, I think he's two or three fights away from retiring as it is. A loss might speed that up. Um, a win, I, I would that up because that means he's beaten what you put in McGregor in there. That's three of the best lightweights in the world in all in, in order, each ascending order of difficulty. He's beaten he's beaten three. He's beaten two interim champion. He beat a former lightweight champion and submitted him, a guy who never lost lost the belt in the cage. So um that'd be a pretty high point to leave on because he could he there's other guys he could fight in the division. I guess he could fight Michael Chandler. That would also be a, a good a good fight, but if he if he ended on on Gaethje, I don't know that anybody would have any complaints, and I I don't know that anybody wouldn't say that he was if not the best lightweight of all time, no worse than maybe number two or number three. Okay, all right, not going to argue that too much there, sir. Um, I, I think that if he does lose this week, and I think he is out of the sport, uh, as I said, his dad wanted him to get to wins. And while I think that is doable, you know, this would be 29. He would need one more if he picks up a win on Saturday. If he was a lose, I do think he is not long for the sport as well, because especially what, what he's going through, what his just losing his his dad. And I couldn't imagine him wanting to go through a camp and wanting to go through the fight game much longer without his dad being beside um, beside him throughout, I, those, throughout that it, journey. It, you're probably right about that. I- I do think if he wins, though, if his dad's thing was 30 and 0, I, he probably would give it his all t- to get to 30 and 0 and then call I it agree a day. With that. Uh, I agree. With one that. last thing I, 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 do think, I do think Justin has a better corner. I've never been a big fan of AKA. I know I think Khabib's great. I think his overall camp is great. But if things get difficult or adjustments need to be made, I have more faith in Trevor Whitman than I have in Javier Mendez. By, by that same regard, though, um, Justin's style tends to lend itself more, more to putting himself in some kind of danger, like putting himself in danger. I'm not saying the guy forces somebody forces danger on him. The way he chooses to fight, the damage he wants to do, exposes himself to a certain amount of danger. So you you always have a chance in a Justin Gaethje fight. It doesn't matter how much he's dominating. You always have a chance because he's trying to finish, even if he's doing it technically. He's trying to finish. He's trying to punish you. He's trying to assert his will and impose his will on you. And when somebody's trying to do those things, they open themselves up to be encountered, to be taken down, to be submitted. So you always have a chance with a Justin Gaethje because his fight style is managing risk for a certain uh, end result. Yeah, what we saw from uh, goodness, Gaethje's corner when he fought Tony Ferguson was amazing. It was perfect because there was a point in that fight when Ferguson clipped him and dropped him right at the end of that round where that shit could have went off the rails. 
but they got his head back in it. They uh, and even though he was playing like I'm not hurt, I'm not hurt or anything like that, they got his head back in it, and they were able to k- keep him focused on the game plan, which worked and helped them get that victory. Yeah, Javier Mendez isn't great in in panic situations, and I don't know, I don't know if anybody on Khabib's team knows what to do if Khabib can't get takedown and he's just getting taken in the woodshed. Except go for takedown, go for takedown. I'm not, his striking is coming along a little bit better, but I don't. I don't know if they have enough faith in it where they're willing to risk that kind of fight. And we've never seen Khabib in real, real trouble. So I, and even when he was, he didn't make an adjustment. He just kept doing what he always does. So I don't know if they know how to handle it if he's in a bad spot. I, I have no idea. It's like Tony Ferguson's team. Oh, he'll just work his way out of it until he didn't. They didn't have any answers when it went bad. When it's gone bad for Justin, Trevor Whitman's had answers. AKA has never been forced to have answers for Khabib. What happens if they have to have answers? I don't have faith that they have the answers for him. True, true. Um, Jared, Jared Whitaker, excuse me, John, Jared Kennanier. Yep, just definitely combine their names. Jared Kennanier and Robert Whitaker are fighting at 185 pounds in the co-main event. I see a lot of people expecting Whitaker to get the doors blown off of him in this fight, and I'm kind of scared at that because he's taken a lot of damage. Yeah. In these last few years, and, and he's walking in with a guy who used to be a heavyweight, and we know he has power that can end someone's night. Are we looking at a situation where Robert Whitaker is about to get stopped? I think I I I, I think so because Robert Whitaker has skills to be a much more defensively responsible and offensively efficient guy than he's been. Um, but he just he eschews those skills to get his volume off, to get his power off, to close the distance, to overwhelm guys, to take control of the cage, and he sets himself up. It's like when he fought um, he fought Israel Adesanya. I figured he'd be using the jab and feigning his way in and coming in behind the jab, and attacking multiple levels. No, he he tried to blitz his way in. He tried these using these these shifts in his footwork to to close the distance instead of working his way into the distance. So he shifts and he blitz, and instead of backing up and covering up, Israel Asanya just fired off. And he hit Israel, but Israel hit him clean first and dropped him and stunned him and then finished him because he didn't have any sort of way to work his, his way into range. He didn't creep his way into the edge of range and then go in. He just went full bore. And when you do that against a certain caliber guy, depending on their skill and their athleticism, they'll panic. They'll cover up. They'll wait till you finish or they'll back themselves into the cage or they'll to start swinging wildly. When you're facing a guy with real poise and real athleticism, all that punching yourself into range, all that does is tell him your speed, your explosiveness, and your timing. And if he's if he has enough faith in his stand-up and a faith in his chin, he's gonna stand right there and he's gonna fire off on you and he's gonna land. You're giving him all you, you tell it's something Rashad Evans used to do. He used to punch his way into range. That's great if you get a certain caliber guy or if you're a much better athlete, but when you're not, all you're doing is teeing that guy up to land big counters. And Whitaker has had a, had a history of getting countered big by everybody. He got countered big by Jock Ray, got countered big by, um, oh my God, he's a fighter, Greg Jackson's a wrestler, uh, Derek Brunson. He got hit huge by Uriah Hall. Like there's a countless number of fighters, uh, Darren Till, uh, Israel Nasanya, Yoel Romero, like everybody who fights him puts hands on him. I'm not saying he doesn't win, but everybody he fights. I don't know the fight he's been in. And against a ranked guy where he hasn't gotten rocked or stunned numerous times, even at welterweight. I think it was it. Did he fight Court McGee? He fought Wonder Boy. Every fight he's been in, he's just got 
and hit and hit a lot. The only difference is his his offense is a little bit cleaner, a little bit more layered, and athletically he's usually good enough where that gap in skill becomes a difference maker. But the fact that matters you only have so many shots you can take like that and when darren till dropped and that was concerning to me because darren till never wasn't a big puncher at, Wel- at welterweight and he wasn't really a big puncher at middleweight in the, in the few fights he's had it there and he he put him he dropped him right off the bat and darren till doesn't hit like jared cannonier he doesn't hit like him he's not as physical strong as him he's not as, he's not the athlete he is and um that's very concerning because he he doesn't have the speed the explosiveness or the power jared cannonier is better than him in every one of those regards so if Rob comes in there blitzing, trying to overwhelm him, and Cannoneer can time him, I don't see how Cannoneer doesn't blow his doors off. Now, Cannoneer's striking isn't really technical. It's not really clean. It's not really high class. It's more workmanlike. It's more functional. It's getting better, but it's more workmanlike, more functional, more obvious. So maybe Robert sees some things that he can exploit, attack him on different levels, maybe set up the blitzes, and then overwhelm him. Maybe this time he'll come in behind the jab. But even if he does everything right, when you're facing a guy who's durable, who used to fight at heavyweight, so he's hugely physically strong, and a guy who's super explosive and hits hard, at some point he's going to land something. And the question is, can A, Rob take it? And if he can take it, can he recover from it? I don't know that I have faith in those anymore. He's had two wars with Romero, war with Brunson, war with Hall. Um, it was a short fight, but a, a one-sided war with, um, with uh, um, Adesanya. And even the fight with Till had some brief moments of really concussive offense and he couldn't get out of the way of any of it so it's it's really concerning for me i'd like to see him use his wrestling if he uses his wrestling and mixes up his strikes this fight gets a lot easier for him this fight becomes a lot more winnable for him but even if he does that i i don't have any any faith in his ability to not catch at least four to three two to three three to five big shots around and i i don't know i i don't have faith that he walks through those shots anymore you know he could surprise me he's got the skill set to make it really easy but he's always had the skill set to make fights really easy and he never ever makes them easy there's not one fight you'll see of his that you're like oh he made that easy he took the the, the pathway of least resistance and won it cleanly you'll never see it look at his fights they're all back and forth unnecessarily so let's talk about um Kenanier because if he knocks out Whitaker, he's going to be seen as the next contender for the title. I mean, um, Asanya already made it clear that he wants to call him out. So what's what's the deal with that? How do you see that fight matching up early-wise? Um, I'm not really impressed by Cannoneer as far as his striking level and his class. I, I think he's a good striker. Like I said, working light functional. What separates him is his athleticism his physicality and his power i mean i saw him against when he fought anderson silva and anderson silva not being anywhere near physical or as quick or as dynamic as he is or being much more crafty and uh, subtle anderson silva was giving him issues he was having issues keeping track with anderson's rhythm anderson was breaking his rhythm anderson was able to move him around with feints anderson was able to set traps and walk him into him and anderson's body just broke down but when they were when they were fighting i didn't see that he was on Par with Anderson Silva. He couldn't get him to bite on feints. He wasn't punishing him to the body. He wasn't really walking him into shots. He wasn't even just overwhelming him with volume and physicality. He was having issues finding his, placing his shots, trapping Anderson, and, and even having 
opportunities to get off offensively. He was having real issues with Anderson. And that makes me believe that he would have issues. He could have issues with Whitaker for one, because Whitaker's capable of fighting that fight if he has enough poise and focus and decides he wants to do it. Um, plus, with his, his traditional martial arts background, his, his ability to, to navigate distance is, is actually really good when he chooses to use it. And against Adesanya, Adesanya is just a better version of Silva. He's not as durable as Silva, but he's a much better striker. He has much better spacing, timing, and much broader um, range of offensive, te- offensive, defensive, and counter techniques. And he's much snappier and more accurate as a striker. So once again, the same thing becomes, it's almost like the Paulo fight, basically. Can he assert his physicality, his size, his power, and his speed before Israel's patience, his footwork, his offensive diversity, and his, his, his countering ability takes over the fight? He's got the power to put him away. He's got the power to, to, he's got the physical strength to put him in spots he doesn't want to be in, but we don't know if he has the class to stay in those spots, i.e. footwork and positioning, and does he have the IQ to really to really create the opportunities necessary to exploit the physical tools he has. Because Israel Asanya has seen dynamic athletes. He's seen big, strong punchers. What he hasn't seen is big, strong, structured, intelligent, and determined punchers who are willing to stick to a plan, but also willing to go through some fire to make sure they, 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 they do the damage necessary to slow him down. That fight with Costa, Costa had success against Israel. He kicked to the body, had success. Kicked to the legs, Israel felt it. But the question is, he wouldn't kick enough. He wouldn't throw enough. He wouldn't take enough risks. I believe Cannoneer is willing to take those risks. But just as those risks will open up opportunities to win, those risks also open up opportunities to be finished. Um, Cannoneer's specific athleticism poses some questions, and I think that would give him the confidence to do it. But I still don't have any any faith in his real in-depth, under duress, when I'm dead tired or I'm in a high-level exchange. I don't have any faith in his ability to execute technically in, in, in those spots. Physically, yeah. Technically, no. All right. I'm really interested in seeing that fight because I think Kennedy just poses an, an interesting challenge, and I like that Adesanya is making it a point to fight all the challengers before he even hints at moving up. So um, I commend him for that. And, you know, Kennedy, he might, he might touch you. Again, we talked about it with Andras, if she touches you, and if he touches you, that could be the end of your night. Yeah, the the quite. I mean, if if you've seen you've seen a fight before, and and you know, Cannoneer is like I'm a well-rounded mixed martial artist. You've seen his fights before. I've seen his fights before. I don't know this well-rounded mixed martial artist he's talked about. I've seen him taken down. I didn't see him sweep and butterflies. I saw him power his way back up. I've seen guys outstrike him, and I've seen him hit them and knock them out. And I've seen him bully physically bully guys. I haven't seen him hitting you know. Low singles, blast doubles, firemen carries, suplexes. I haven't seen all that. I haven't seen chain wrestling. I've seen a guy with great physical tools with a simple, uh, to the point, but effective skill set that are bolstered by those physical tools. Defensively, I haven't seen a whole lot of him either. So he, he, he doesn't have a lot of seasoning to his game. In my opinion, he doesn't have a lot of depth to his game. But when you have the physical tools he has, you don't have to as long as you keep building them on the way. His physical tools and the basic skills that he has set and the game plan he has set allows him to beat better and more experienced opposition. Robert Whitaker will be the best and most experienced opposition in these phases. So it just so happens he's catching him at a point where we don't know what to expect from him as far as his 
physical durability. And that's where the question comes. If you could tell me Robert Whitaker's chin is 100%, I say he wins the fight. But nobody can guarantee me that anymore. And people have been talking about the fall-off that's going to come for him years ago when he fought Romero. People were like, man, you can't fight two fights like that back-to-back and think that there's not, there's not going to be a price to pay for it. And now the question is, is time up? Does he no longer have any room for margin? And if he doesn't, he's not as good a fighter as he used to be because that room, that that durability allowed him to do certain things that he wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And if he no longer has it, then he's no longer, in my opinion, he's no longer elite. If his chin is not what he used to be, he's no longer an elite fighter. Got you there, sir. Is there anything else on this card that stands out to you? Um, hold on one second. I need to look really quick. Um, I, should, I just had it up and then I took it off for a second. What I thought was can happen um well i guess the walt harris fight is interesting just because in the in the next in the next few i guess weeks or months they're gonna have to come to some kind of decision about what they want to do with the heavyweight title um with um with cp saying he doesn't really want to fight in ganu that's boring john jones supposedly moving up um you have a lot of you have a lot of leeway for somebody to, to take a take a big step and possibly challenge for a uh, interim title at worst case scenario maybe um Maybe uh, maybe Stipe drops it to go box or something in the best case scenario, and they, they can fight for the legitimate title. But there should be some fairly big moves in the next four to six months in the heavyweight division. So this fight becomes important because if Volkov wins this fight, he lost against Curtis Blades. But if he if he can beat Walt Harris, that essentially puts him right back in, into uh, contender status. And and Walt Harris essentially, if he can beat if he can beat um, if he can be Volkov, then he's he's essentially stamped his ticket as probably you know a guy behind um, behind Francis Ngannou is is a potential challenger. Or maybe he would maybe if Stipe drops maybe for an interim title if they don't, if they can't get Stipe or maybe Stipe drops the belt and uh, Harris can fight Ngannou or something for the title. It's, it's just a spot where both guys aren't too far off from a title fight. Both of them had recent losses, one to Blades, one to um, Overeem, but. In the heavyweight division, with the way heavyweights fall off back and forth and get knocked out with ease, um, you're never more than a fight or two away from a title shot. So whoever wins this fight is is right back in there as far as maybe being one or two guys away from a title shot. So that that to that regard, this fight is very important. I don't know that it's a great fight technically, or a great fight as far as like the caliber of guys, but it's a it's a great fight because it's important and it will help shape the division moving forward. Yeah, it's definitely an and, uh, important fight. And one last thing I want to talk Good. It's definitely an important fight because, as Francis Ngannou pointed out on Twitter today, the heavyweight title has been defended twice in two years. So they need to move some things around. They need some space in that, that division. And this will, I think this fight will give us a situation where they potentially have someone that can be in line if there's an interim fight that needs to be built around uh, Francis Ngannou or if they need to do something else, but they need to move that division forward because it, it I hate heavyweight MMA to begin with, but Ngannou's right that he needs something, he needs something to do. But go ahead. What were you about to say? Uh, lastly, Lauren Murphy's fighting on this card. And um, I, this was actually going to be a very good chance for her to state her case to be the next person to fight um, Valentina Shevchenko just because she's been on a, bit of a win streak and she's won each fight in in maybe not in dominant fashion but definitely decisive 
and beating um, Mara Romero, Barella, Andrea Lee, and Roxy Modafari. In fact, her time in the weight class, um, I think she's she's one four she's four and two. So uh, this was a good chance that she beat Cynthia Calvillo, who's coming off a huge win over Jessica I. This was a chance for her to put her main her hat in the ring and and at least have a legitimate argument to fight Valentina. If not, she was probably gonna have to fight Andrade, and whoever won that fight would get the title fight. But her opponent was switched, and now that her opponent's been switched, I don't think she has any chance of getting a title shot. I, I mean, this this fight, whether she wins dynamically or she wins in a boring manner, it's it's not gonna have enough cachet with it that's gonna overshadow what Andrade did to Caitlin Chukagan. And then that in that she won and she won dominantly and she won the first round. So this fight Warren Murphy's involved in is high risk, once again, low reward. This girl coming in, she wins or loses, she's got a contract. She's got two more fights to prove herself. She beats Lauren Murphy. She's instantly a name in the division, and Lauren Murphy tumbles all the way back to the end of the line. She's essentially in the same position that um, the Korean zombie was, except the Korean zombie was fighting somebody with a name and some cachet. Lauren Murphy's fighting somebody nobody knows about. And it's just a very risky proposition for her. She's worked very hard to put herself in this position, and it's a loss, much less her struggling and fighting tooth and nail with this girl, essentially makes any title fight she has go away. It's going to go away for at least six months to a year. If she loses, it's two years. If she struggles to win, it's six months to a year. But if she would have beat Cynthia Cavia, that would have given her almost an ironclad statement to have a title fight or say, hey, Andrade, you got to get through me. Her beating this girl isn't going to do anything. And Andrade could call her out. But if Andrade wants a title fight, and the UFC wants to give it to her, she'll get it. There won't be there won't be any justifiable argument because in beating Caitlin Chukagan, that's better than any other win that she's had in the division, including if she wins on Saturday night. True. I'm not going to argue with that, sir. I think that that is an important bout as well. Lauren Murphy, man, I always tip my hat off to her for that time that she fought where her ear was basically hanging off of her head. That was a hell of a moment for her career, and they don't talk about that, and you don't see a lot of pictures of that enough. Um, I also think they, they should they should give her some props as far as like you know how they have a lot of male fighters retired and active who get to work at the desk. Lauren Murphy is very engaging and she has an interesting story and she's very intelligent and she's very experienced. I don't see why they don't give enough female fighters a chance to work the desk and get their analysts on and have another avenue for them when their careers come to an end. And she would be a great representative, I think. Maybe she doesn't have the look they want, but it should be about more than just the look. It should be about personality and content. And I feel that she those aspects very well. I'm not saying I don't think she's a title contender. I'm thinking she should have another avenue as so many male fighters have had throughout their career. Yeah, she's someone that I, I could think play like could play the spoiler really well. And uh, she's always been that, that type of fighter to me. Like she's sneaky good and she's sneaky durable and she's been around for such a long time that people really do forget about her. Yep. Let's talk about um, last Saturday's boxing match where Teofimo Lopez defeated Vasily Lomachenko by a decision. Schwan, what was your scorecard? Um, I actually thought it was, at the worst case, best case for, for, for Loma, I thought it was a draw. But because I, I felt some rounds could be swing rounds, but in, in the worst case, I thought it was, a, I thought it was 7 5. That, that 109, whatever card, that, that wasn't it with me. I didn't agree with that one, but I did agree that Teofimo um, won that fight. So why did you think he won that fight? <clears throat> um, Loma didn't do enough 
to be quite honest. I could see you giving a round or two. At first, I thought he's maybe gauging him and, and figuring him out for the round or two. But the fact of the matter is when he got to three and four, I started having some concern because even if he was going to try and attack late in the round to, to kind of drown him in, in, in waters and see if he could mentally hold up to the pressure of having to finish out a fight against a all-time great with all this focus, you're essentially giving up almost half of the fight and putting yourself in a position where you have to sweep all the rounds just to have a draw or you have to stop in the win. Lomachenko isn't a great finisher in that regard. He's, he's gotten finishes, but a lot of his finishes have come at a lower weight class. At this higher weight class, he hasn't shown that punching power unless he, and when he has sat down on the strikes, his punches, and really ramped up the volume, he's absorbed as much punishment as he's dished out. Against Lenares, he got dropped. Against Luke Campbell, he, he won, but he, he, he took somewhat of a beating in that fight, too. Even against Pedraza, he, he did more damage, and he turned it on, he dropped him, and he overwhelmed him late to pull away. But he took a lot of shots in that fight, too. And at that weight class, he, his power doesn't carry, and for him, him to do damage, he has to up his volume a lot more. And um, he, didn't, he, waited, he, he essentially waited too late. It's not like he just chose the weight. Teofimo looked huge in there. He looked like he was in another weight class. And I think the size and his athleticism kind of made Loma hesitant because he realized this guy's hand speed and his ability to close distance is much better than he thought it was. And Teofimo using a jab, coming in behind a jab, and focusing on the body. I tell boxers this. I tell MMA fighters, attack the body. You can't, you can't find the head against a good defensive fighter. Attack the body. And early on, he was touching him to the body from round one to round 12. And that set the table. That helped him find his rhythm. That helped him dissuade Loma from countering aggressively or taking the lead. And it allowed him to save his energy. Because every time you throw strikes and you miss, or punches and you miss, you're wearing yourself down. You throw it to the body. You can punch something in the chest, in the side, in the hip. You're not wasting as much energy because you're not stopping your own shot. The, the body's absorbing the energy instead of you just swinging and missing. So it's little things like that that allowed him to basically sweep the first part of the fight and do enough damage and, and cut enough into Loma's bait gas tank so when he tried to turn it on late he could turn it on but he couldn't quite turn it on the way he wanted to one because he did he, he was fearing or respecting what was coming back and two because his gas tank and his legs just weren't there because they've been being touched in the body all fight long it, it was it was very impressive because Teofimo did what I, I thought he could knock him out I thought he could overwhelm him I didn't think that he could outbox him for 12 rounds and for the large majority of 12 rounds he outboxed them Loma had his moment he put the pressure on him. He did the veteran things. He got to him. He had him on his heels. He, in my opinion, he almost had him out a few times. But Teo Fimo maintained his poise, and he just outboxed him. He had to fight in spots, but he outboxed him. He didn't go for the feint. He didn't chase him. He didn't headhunt. He didn't just start throwing shots. It was all behind a jab. It was all steps. He always stepped and turned with him. He angled in, angled out. He pivoted. He parried. He, he, did, he, he showed the full array of skills. And that's probably the biggest shock to me. Not that he can box, but that he was able to maintain his poise and his maturity and show such maturity in a spot against somebody who had to be putting immense amounts of pressure on him as far, or as, far as the moment. That, that's the biggest thing to separate him, that, that poise and that maturity that he showed, even more so than the skill set. So let's talk about that maturity first and foremost, because he's 23 years old. 
23 years old. How important of this is a big, how important is this victory for him at such a young age with what, 16? Well, this was his 16th fight? How, talk about that point because I think that's a huge talking point that we're looking at someone who can be the face of boxing for the next 15 years if, if he reaches that, that, that point. Well, the biggest thing about it is it's not so much just important for him. It's important for boxing. The thing, Loma is, an, is a good fighter. He had a lot of hype. He's, he, he's very skilled. I'm not one of those people saying he's trash now. He's still a very skilled fighter. He, he's he's fight, fighting out his weight class against one of the best young contenders out there. So he's still legitimate. He's still world class. But the thing about it is he didn't have that personality. He didn't have a personality that sells. He's not a knockout type guy. He's a boxer. Boxer. He might be a pressure boxer. He might be a volume boxer, but he's still a boxer. Teofimo is a big hitter. Teofimo is a great athlete. Teofimo has a certain charm and humor and personality to him that can help expand the sport. And now we have all sorts of interesting matchups that are going to be made because of Teofimo's willingness to fight and the fact that he can move up weight classes. It opens up a whole bunch of new matchups that you can take advantage of in a way that you couldn't with Lomachenko. Because Lomachenko, 135 is about as far as he could go. Teofimo could go to 140. He'll probably end his career at 147. You know, that's two more weight classes. So there's a bigger storyline now. And since he's young and exciting, he kind of fits in with certain cultural people, and cultural musicians, actors, UFC fighters. You know, they saw Cheeto Vera hanging out with him. He has a certain pull and a uh, gravity to his personality that's going to help expand the sport and, and give him more opportunity to be a, a true superstar. Um, and that's what this big win comes. It he, he has a personality of a superstar, and he had somewhat of a following with superstar. But now, now he actually has the accomplishments of a superstar. So it justifies everything he said. It justified everything he did, and it's given him a bigger platform to launch off of now. Like he's gone from just another guy who's knocking guys out or putting on impressive performances to a guy who's beat the best in the division, and he beat him. He beat him in a way that nobody expected, and he showed a maturity that nobody expected. And he has a hunger that nobody expected. So he's in a position now where the whole boxing world is, is at his feet and he can call a shot. Uh, now, I don't think there's as many big money options for him as far as Lomachenko was. Lomachenko was the best, biggest and best money option for, for him. But as far as other options that can help him expand his brand, yeah, there's lots of them. Because he's willing to fight anybody and he's going to be moving up one to two weight classes minimum in, in, before his career is over. What is next for him? Where do you think he goes immediately after this fight? Because a lot of people are talking about a rematch. And I think a rematch is, is okay, especially when we talk about some numbers in a second. But where, did, where does he go next? Well, they didn't put a rematch clause in there. So the only way there's rematches is if he wants it to be. And to be quite honest, the rematch would be iffy. The, the weight class was not good for Lomachenko. The stats back it up. But if you just go to the eye test, he got hit more at this weight class. He got hit by bigger, stronger guys at the weight class. And none of these guys were punchers. Linares isn't a puncher, and Linares dropped him. Luke Campbell's not a puncher, and Luke Campbell was, was marking him up. Um, part of the reason he couldn't do what he wanted against Teofimo is because Teofimo's power and his physical strength. He already hit the limits of his physical abilities at that weight class. And now that you find, we found out that he's having surgery, I really think that Lomachenko's boxed so long as an amateur, and he's been in so much, that I, I personally think his body's breaking down. And moving up to a weight class and taking that punishment and fighting world-class guys at that weight class and, move, and fighting so many high-level guys, I think the reason they, they did that and took those risks is because he's, they know that he's not long for the sport. He's not going to be in 
boxing for 10 years. He's not going to be in for eight years. He's going to be in for like six to eight, six to eight maybe. I, I think they wanted to move him quickly because they know he's not going to be here long, so they need to take as many challenges, as many fights, and get as many belts as they can because he's not going to – I mean, Teofimo could be here for next, another 10, 12 years, 13, 14 years if he does it right. Lomachenko is not going to be there at this point. Most of the guys who are Lomachenko's age have 20, 30, some, something like 40 fights by now. Lomachenko only has 15 or like 16 fights, you know, and he's having another surgery. So as far as, as, far as him, I think Lomachenko should go back to weight class, see if he can fight Shakur Stevenson, maybe Burchell, somebody, somebody else. At that weight class, he's still undefeated. At that weight class, he's still the man. But go back to the weight class where the strength and size and power won't, won't be such an uphill battle. As far as uh, Lopez, he could fight Devin Haney. That, that, that fight has some legs. Um, Javante Davis could move up, and that, that, that fight would have some legs because he's associated with Floyd, and that could be a big pay-per-view fight. That, that would be a really big fight because of Floyd being involved and Javante being under Floyd's uh, wing, that could be a big, big money fight. Or he could just move up to 140, and the winner of Ramirez, uh, Taylor, two, two big um, junior, light, junior welterweights, two big-name welterweights, two world-class welterweights, whoever wins out of that fight, uh, you could have the unified lightweight champion move up and challenge to be the junior welterweight champion. That's probably the best options. I don't think Teofimo is going to be at 35 much longer. He's huge for the weight class. So if there's not a money fight like a Davis, maybe, maybe Haney, but I think Davis would be the biggest money fight. Uh, if there's not a fight with somebody like Davis or Haney, um, he probably just moves up to the next weight class and probably will be, have a title fight within. He'll probably, his first fight will be for a title, or at worst, his second fight for will be, will be for a title that weight class. But he, he can't make 35 much longer. So let's talk about one other thing because this fight was on ESPN. ESPN. It was on ESPN, right? It wasn't on ESPN Plus, but it was on. Yeah, you're right. It was on. It was on ESPN, but it was perfectly scheduled to fight after uh, Brian Ortega and um, Korean Zombie fought. So it averaged 2.7 million views according to Boxing Scene, and it peaked at 2.8 million, which is a huge. Huge numbers. The biggest is the most watched boxing match in three years, non-pay-per-view. Talk about that, Shawan. How big of a moment is this for both men, especially with Lopez coming out with the belt? Well, it's big because it's on. I mean, no matter how much pay-per-view you do, most pay-per-views don't sell two million. Most get around a couple hundred thousand. You look at the Charles last pay-per-view, didn't do great. So you got in front of all these eyes. You you have. I've, I've, you had the whole world focused on boxing and a lot of people were saying boxing and bat because now you have this young champion and that's that's great for Lomachenko too because a lot of people got to see him he he, he got to sell his story he's a little bit more marketable now even in the loss and people are still talking about the fight you know why did he start so late how good Teofimo looked at now Loma's having surgery what's Teofimo going to do next it's it, it it's very high traffic they were even talked about on first take and and uh, Undisputed and all these other shows, even mixed martial arts are talking about the fight. So it's a great platform, and it shows boxing still has some legs when you give people good matchups and you don't bleed them dry for pay-per-view dollars. On the bad side is, this is the kind of fight that probably should have been pay-per-view, and during, as a result of COVID, neither one of these guys got the money they probably deserve. 
because I mean Loma had dominated two weight three what three weight classes. He's a two time gold champion, uh, um, gold medalist in the in the Olympics. One of the biggest stars in top rank. Teofimo Lopez was one of the biggest young contenders and a champion in his own right. This is the kind of fight made for pay per view. This is the kind of fight that probably would have sold the pay per view this time last year. But being on TV, it helps them on, on the back end because it exposes them to more people, increases their Q rating, and it, it, it exposes more for the promotion top rank and for their divisions they're going to fight in. It gave everybody some light because Teofimo called people out. And when people talk about Loma, they're talking about him dropping weight classes and they're bringing up names of these boxers who aren't big stars, but who have a chance to break through and be big stars because he's going to be back there to fight them and Teofimo is going to be up there to fight that, fight other guys. But on the front end, they didn't get the money they deserved for this matchup. And that's that's kind of a shame. But long-term speaking, if everything goes the way they want it to, those guys should end up making some pretty good paydays moving forward. Uh, probably Lopez more than Loma because I don't think Loma is going to be here four years from now. Maybe not even two. Who else do you think he could pair with to draw a similar number? Well, I don't know that he needs to. I don't know how big a star Lopez is now. I'm not quite sure because it's like the Conor McGregor or the Floyd Mayweather thing or Canelo, even Triple G to a certain amount. People are going to go to see them fight regardless. They can make money with anybody. The amount of money they can make depends on who they're fighting. There's nobody else who was on the run that Vasily Lomachenko was on. Devin Haney is like a champion, but he isn't fought any, any elite top five, top ten guys. Shakur Stevenson is a silver medalist, a young guy. He's very, he's very accomplished, very skilled, but he hasn't fought anybody. He's not really truly proven. So there's, there's nobody who poses – at the lower weight class, there's nobody who poses as much of a threat to Loma based off the physicality alone. The question now becomes how does he bounce back from this loss? Last time he lost, he, he won 15 fights in a row and won like five or six titles. He won six titles in three different weight divisions. So that's how he responded to his first loss. People want to see how he responds to his next loss, but Lomachenko is going to be out for a while because he's having surgery. The question is, how does this benefit Lopez? Because Lopez right now has, he, he could choose to fight the winner. He could choo- choose to fight the winner between Taylor and Ramirez, or he could wait for Haney or see if Javante Davis moves up. But, but some of those guys are getting pay- paid very big money to fight guys who aren't named guys or fight guys who aren't elite guys. So I don't know that they're necessarily in a rush to face someone like Lopez. I think Devin Haney is, but he's not going to make as much money or get as much attention for fighting Devin Haney as he did Lomachenko. Everybody else he fights from here on out is going to benefit from his name and his accomplishment. When he fought Lomachenko, he benefited from fighting Lomachenko. If he would have beat anybody else for a title, he beat somebody else for a title. It wasn't that big a deal. He beat other guys. It wasn't that big a deal because he beat Lomachenko. He took some of that rub off Lomachenko. Now he's the guy in the driver's seat, and whoever fights him is going to benefit their paycheck and their Q rating is going to benefit from fighting him. So as far as I know right now, there's nobody who's going to do for him what Lomachenko did. He's now the guy who's doing for them by fighting them. And I don't know that there's anybody outside of maybe Javante Davis just because he connected to Floyd and there should be some trash talk and they sparred before and all that nonsense. But as far as other named guys who, are gonna, who have high Q ratings – uh, there's there's nobody else. 
Nobody else. Okay, I, I like what you kind of broke down there, sir. I hope so, that oh yeah, do- sorry. There's no there's no rematch clause. Usually they do that. They did not do this in this case because we would have fought a rematch. It would have been a bigger fight the second time. It probably would have been pay per view. But there's no rematch clause, and I don't think he wants to have a rematch. I think he's done for it, done with it, and wants to move on to the next phase of his career. Okay. All right there, sir. Um, man, we got, we've been going about an hour and a half already and I want to touch on this Mike Perry shit, but, um, basically have, did you read the Danielle Nickerson interview or did you I read watch it? I saw the, I saw the Reddit, read it about it and I saw the video and, uh, it's rough, man. It's so I'm going to say, I'm going to say three things about this and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go and we can close out first things first, Mike Perry's ass needs to go. Um, and he needs to go because he's a danger to people around him. He's a danger to, you're making a lot of noise in the background, Sean. He's a danger Sorry. to his current fiance and that baby. And this situation, her story basically tells that. The second thing I want to say is that MMA Twitter has, MMA, the MMA community as a whole has a problem with the toxic masculinity, toxic, especially the toxic white masculinity that is pervasive within this industry is getting out of control and Mike Perry is a prime example of it and he benefits from it because he knows the UFC will not cut him for this situation. Now they have precedents because they cut that one guy um, they cut Josh Grisby for his situation with his wife when he lied about it. So they do have some precedents of what they've done in the past. Now, do I think that they'll take the, the, the same recourse with Mike Perry? Probably not. He's scheduled to fight Robbie Lawler in November. UFC didn't uh, uh, issue a comment, and um, uh, Perry's management issued a no comment as well. So there's that. The third thing is, as men, we got to do better calling out our, our friends who do this type of shit. And when it comes to athletes, we got to do a better job of not supporting these athletes because you see it every time when this happens. You saw it in the Ray Rice situation. You see it with Greg Hardy before he was in MMA. Every time this, this, this situation happens, you see the people wanting to defend the athlete. Well, what did she do? Why is she telling her story now? Et cetera, et cetera, other, other bullshit. That's got to go. It's got to go. If, if we could wipe the sport clean and wipe all that, that piece out of it, it would be the first thing that needs, needs to happen because this shit shouldn't be welcome in MMA. Unfortunately, it is even more so than it is in other sports. And this is just a problem. Mike Perry, I hate to say he needs to lose his job, but he needs to fucking lose his job because this he's a, he is a threat to society. He reminds me a lot of War Machine. And at some point in time, enough needs to be enough because... I said it when he when he punched that old man in the uh, bar. When I think of the situation, he makes me think of the way people used to talk about NBA athletes and they would get in trouble and they would call them thugs or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Mike Perry is a thug. At some point in time, he's going to fuck with the wrong person and they're going to put two in his chest. And then that's going to be the end of the conversation. Like that's gonna, and then, then the whole thing's going to switch to, oh, he was a troubled person. No one understood him. No, people understand him. He's a problem. And he needs to get kicked out of the UFC. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people, a lot of people's, I, I have haven't been in the situation because I don't go around beating women. I've been, I've known people who beat women, reported them, 
restrain them, call the cops. I've also known women who lied about being beaten and had a whole other issue about that. I don't have a problem with people asking questions. I have a problem with people's complete lack of regard for somebody else's safety and inability to question if there's some legit- legitimacy to the statement. I don't mind you saying, well, I don't know if I believe it, but let me, let me look into it. Let's look into the facts. I can, I can handle that kind of scrutiny because that's, that's reasonable. You don't know. Let's find out. But to just say that she's hateful or she's bitter because he left her or she wants to be with a UFC fighter, we all know UFC fighters don't make that kind of money. The life ain't glamorous of a girlfriend of a UFC fighter. Trust me. Stories I hear from fighters, it, it's not great. So there's nothing, there's no lifestyle, there's no fame she's missing out on. And even if she is bitter, if he hit her or he's verbally and mentally abusing her, that doesn't excuse that, that that doesn't make it okay just because she talks to him way he doesn't want to be talked to, or she's bitter about the breakup, which I don't think she is. But if she is, who cares? You can't assault her, you can't attack her, you can't threaten her. That's that's not allowable. That's not okay, that's not allowable. But you have a lot of these guys who live through these fighters. And they take their situations and they, they superimpose the fighter on it. Yeah, my ex was at this too. My ex was at that too. And this girl who didn't do what I said is should just, just bow down. To them, it's like, it's like they, they're living through them, so they defend them like they're defending themselves. And Mike Perry is a grown man who needs to be accountable for his own actions and reactions. I think he should get fired from the UFC, but... I don't know what that fixes because he's still out there. He's still with his current fiance. He's still out walking the streets. And I don't know him. I don't know the whole story. I probably could ask around and find out, to be quite honest. I could probably ask some people and find out. But I haven't asked yet. But now, now that I think about it, I'm going to find out about this. But he's still out on the streets. He's still got his fiance. He's still walking around. If he's a danger with the UFC, he's a danger without it. In fact, an unemployed guy who's been publicly humiliated probably is going to be more of a danger on the street. I'm not saying they should keep him. But there's other factors other than just him not having a job with the UFC. If, if people really feel he's that dangerous, I wouldn't want to deal around an untrained person who's athletic and feels like he has nothing to live for and feels like he's been attacked and he's a victim. That person's a threat. What do you do to a guy who at one point was one of the 10 best fighters in the weight class? That changes the whole aspect of it. So him getting fired from the UFC doesn't do much good if there's not some kind of legal action behind it where he's going to go to jail or be put away from people where he's not going to be a risk because there's older, other old people to punch out. There's other people who are going to comment about what he says. And for the large majority of people in the world, they would actually have to use a weapon to stop them. They, they wouldn't be capable of doing it. Uh, otherwise, you know, I think what a year, years ago, some MMA fighter attacked his wife and like her dad had to shoot him or something of that nature. That's how far it would go. And it would be, it'd be a terrible story and it still would be a tragic story because when somebody gets shot or killed in a situation like that, it's not a win for anybody. It's not a win for the ex. It's not going to be a win for him. It's not going to be a win for his baby. His, the baby, I guess, the, his, his fiance is pregnant. It's not a win for anybody. It's a loss for everybody. But it's some, something that needs to be addressed. And, it's, and the last point you made, um, I think more men need to be more willing to confront men about abuse. I think more men need to be willing to get involved. I say more men because... Anybody who knows me knows I regularly do this. All my mother tells me to do is mind my own business. It's just not how I am. But I will understand, I would understand if somebody would be hesitant to confront a Mike Perry, just like I'd be understanding that someone would be hesitant to confront a Greg Hardy. I know we all live in the do the right thing and be a man and this and that. I get it. 
and I wouldn't have a problem confronting them because that's just what I normally do. I just confront people when they're assaulting women or assaulting anybody. That's just who I am. But there's a certain reality about him being a professional fighter, Greg Hardy being a professional fighter, and being the level athletes they are, that any guy who steps into this situation or confronts him in this situation is essentially risking his life. And That's why they I, get two in the chest. Hey, I'm not, I'm not saying they can't. But maybe it's a situation where your gun ain't on you. You got to run to your car. You run to your car. She could be dead by the time you get back. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm just talking about the reality because most people don't involve themselves in situations like this. So people don't understand how it works. I involve myself in situations like this all the time. So I do. And if something happens to you, you, maybe you have a wife, maybe you have a baby. Who's going to take care of that? I'm not saying not do the right thing, but who's going to take care of your family when you're gone? Who's going to take care of their mental, spiritual needs, their financial needs? It's, it's other, other elements to it that you have to consider when you're making a move and you're not making a move. I'm not saying don't make one. I'm saying that I understand why people don't. I'm just not smart enough not to do that. But I understand why other smarter people do not do it. But as far as your friends and family or people who co-sign this, you, you have to call it out. And they're, they're not going to understand why you're calling out. They're not going to understand why what they're doing is wrong. But you have to call it out and you have to make that stand, even if it costs you followers, it costs you friendships, it costs you certain relationships in your family. Because this way of living is detrimental to not just the women who are being killed and harmed and beat up, but it's detrimental to young men who are, who, who are seeing this and internalizing it and thinking it's okay. And it's making them worse people and it's making them into predators. And it's, it's just ruining the world for everybody. So it's something that has to be called out. It has to be made a stand to. And it, if you have some questions about what she's saying, you can ask that question. I don't have a problem with people asking questions. It's just the way you ask the question and the way you pose the question. That's what you have to take into consideration. There's no need to insult her. There's no need to question her character. Just do your due diligence, find out what's going on, and then make, make a decision about how you're going to react with your friends, how you're going to react to that employee, how you're going to react in the real world. Because this is just a, a microcosm of what we face in the real world. People who feel like they have the right to do and say whatever they want, and they shouldn't be held accountable to it. And that's, and that's just a way that shouldn't be allowed to exist in this world. There's too many men and women who are suffering as a result of being raised by or raised around people like that. So people have to start calling it out. People have to start taking risks. Otherwise, it's going to be your son doing it, your friend, your brother, your cousin, your daughter, your sister, your friend, your acquaintance, your coworker who's going to suffer the results of it. That's going to require a stand that most people aren't comfortable taking. Yeah, that's true. Most people aren't comfortable taking that stance, but here we'll take all the damn stances we need to take because this is a situation that needs to be handled. Dana White won't say anything about it though. No one will ask him any questions about it either, or they'll ask one question and gloss over it for something else because we know that that's how most of our media partners do just to make sure that they keep their access. I wish I, I wish I could go to one of those things. I would ask him the question, and when he asked security to move me, I'd just be like, Why don't you move me yourself? You're a tough guy. He wouldn't do it, but I would just love the chance just to punch him square in his face. Just once, it'd be worth whatever I get. <laughs> just land, just one square punch in the face, be worth it. One good time, one square punch. But we can't do that. What we can do is we can keep creating content. So, Shawan, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on? Uh, covering uh, kind of going over women's mixed martial arts camp stuff. Working on my fight series of um fictional characters, comic book characters and their fighting styles, you know, the usual stuff with me. Conversing with any any and every fan who has a question about a camp or a fighter wants me to do a breakdown, 
contact me at Black Jordan Breen or at MMA Ratings. We will discuss it on the show, or we will, I can talk talk to you through Twitter and uh, give you some in depth breakdown about how I see things. But that that's me. Always trying to help somebody get a better understanding. That's what I do. Good stuff. And I will be covering professional wrestling as usual and everything else in between. More MMA content is coming as well, so to be on the eye for that. And guys, we'll be back next week to talk about the world of mixed martial arts. Um, the wrestling podcast will be out this weekend as well, too, because we got another pay-per-view coming up this weekend. So be sure to check us out. And with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out. Schwan, thank you again for another week. Thank you, sir. Take it easy. Have a good one.